0: Here during worship we darkened it a little bit. The sides can be darkened, and so we're we're moving on up. We're moving on up. So hope you enjoy that. I am excited to be able to share this morning with you. Um, I talked to some people on Wednesday night after our Wednesday night study, and I said I'm going to preach on sanctification. I just I've been looking into that holiness. That's a, a thing that's near and dear to my heart. I don't just believe that we should talk about positional holiness that we're holy because we're in Christ. Yes and amen. But practical holiness, right? We need to live a life of holiness before the world, but the Lord had different plans, or I'm trusting that He did. Please God, (laughs) because I'm going to preach to you today on a Sunday morning on tongues. Yeah, the gift of tongues. Welcome to a Pentecostal church. We believe in the gift of tongues. We, the reason I'm doing this. Let me go ahead and say that real quick. We've been teaching on the Holy Spirit we want to make an emphasis. As an Assembly of God church, as a licensed Assembly of God minister, I am not necessarily required, I guess you could say it that way, but it's something I've agreed to, that I will make, uh, I will make this a part of what I teach and preach continuously to the church, because we believe in it. We believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Uh, what happens, though, is a lot of times this becomes a kind of a controversial issue. That's just the reality, inside the church and outside the church. And so We had Brother Doyle come in. He helped us. Uh, We had people receive, begin to pray in other tongues. Uh, We decided to go on Wednesday nights and talk a little bit about this. And we had a question at the end of our first Wednesday night panel by none other than Dylan Allender. He said, what now? What now? There's people that are seeking that, that haven't received. What now? There's people that have just recently received What now, right? I've I've lived this life of faith for so long without this gift. What now? I thought that was a great question, and so that really began to stir my heart. And so that's that's my heart. What now? What now? If you're somebody that's seeking the fullness of the Holy Spirit, Uh, if you're somebody that has recently received, I could even say, what now? If you've been practicing this for years, it's not the end all, be all of the Christian faith. It's not the only thing that we teach and preach. If you go back and look at our sermons, you're going to find topics on prayer. You're going to find justification, righteousness, holiness, serving God, serving others. We preach the full counsel of God, but we are Pentecostal, and we hold to this belief, and it's something that I'm passionate about. So if you would, stand with me real quick. I've got one passage of Scripture to read to you, and then I'll give you the title of this message. Psalm 31, verse 20. It's going to be on the screen, but if you'd like to find it, I'll give you just a minute. Psalm 31, verse 20. Verse 20. David's writing in the psalm here. The psalmist is writing. And he says, You shall hide them in the secret place of your presence. I like that. God has made a promise. You'll hide them in the secret place of your presence. From the plots of man, you shall keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. From the strife of of tongues. And so title of my message taken directly from that, The Strife of Tongues. So let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. God, thank you for this opportunity. I pray, God. I pray now as I've prayed privately, Lord, that you would give me, Lord, grace, that you would help me to get out of the way to speak your word and your truth, God full of the love of Christ, I pray uh, that people would receive this word, would be stirred up in their faith to seek all that you have for them, God, not just one particular gift, but all that you have for them, everything that you've provided for us, God. We want to lay hold of that by faith, and so I pray, God, give us faith, open our ears to hear, God, open my mouth to speak your word in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. amen. You may be seated. So, I've already laid out a little bit of why I chose this, the strife of tongues. Well, that word strife means uh, fighting, backbiting, uh, quarreling, division. So the strife of tongues, the reality is when you get to the topic of the gift of tongues, speaking in tongues, it can be a point of strife. It can be a point of strife in the church. Some say that this died out with the apostles. Some say that it continues. Some say that you're not saved unless you speak in tongues, right? We don't believe that here clarify that, but there's a lot on this issue. So there's the corporate strife that goes on within the body of Christ, but then there's the internal strife that many people feel as they seek or pursue all that God has for them. They seek or pursue this gift. Some have strife because they haven't received. Maybe they've heard that because they haven't received, they're less than. I want to squash that today as much as I can, but the reality is when we get to this subject, we can't avoid the fact that there's strife. In 1 Corinthians that we'll look at today, 1 Corinthians, there was strife in the church, and a lot of it had to do with the gift of tongues. And so how can we avoid strife? Well, at the end of Psalm 31 that I didn't read, David says, Love the Lord, all you his saints. So there's an encouragement about love. There's something about love that helps us to avoid strife. So that's kind of the key part of my message. But point number one, I'm going to go ahead and give you point number one. How do we avoid strife with tongues? Well, the first thing you have to do is you have to recognize it's God's gift. It's a simple point, but we have to recognize it's God's gift. With any gift that we look at, we have to recognize this. The gift of tongues is God's idea. It's not man's idea. We didn't invent it. God came up with it. God gave it to the church. And as a matter of fact, the first reference comes from none other. The first direct reference to the gift of tongues comes from none other. Than the Lord Jesus Christ, Mark chapter sixteen, Amen. they that believe in me shall speak in other tongues. Acts chapter two, when people call this the birthday of the church, or the church is born, and the Spirit of God is poured out in new covenant power, the hundred and twenty that are gathered speak in other tongues. God could have chosen a multitude of things, but He chose in His sovereignty to uh, mark the coming of the Holy Spirit with the gift of tongues. God chose that in Acts chapter two. In First Corinthians, Paul is talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he says there is, they're all from God, right? There's the, the Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father. God is all in all. These gifts are from Him and for the body of Christ. So the first thing we have to say, regardless of what you've seen, what you've experienced, the internal strife, the external strife, the reality is we have to view any gift of God with reverence. And that includes the gift of tongues. Because I know you've seen, we've all seen it, misuse and abuse. But if it's a gift of God, then it's a good gift. God only gives good gifts. So think about this for just a second, Christmas gifts. You can say birthday gifts as well. If you have worked and you have poured into buying a gift, if you have a child that wants a particular gift, and you work and you do all that you can, and you save and you put it away and you finally buy that present, and you put it before that child and they tear it open, only to have utter disgust come upon their face. How do you feel? As a parent, right? You've worked, you you provided, and here's this gift, and the child tears into it, and their face says, I don't want that gift. A lot of us feel that way about tongues, if we're honest. God, give me any gift, but don't give me that weird one. Don't make me the weird guy. Please, please don't give me that one, Lord. You tear it. Oh, can I return that one? That's not the one I was hoping for. And I understand that. There's a reality to that but it's a gift from God, period, end of story. And you can't, you can't let the abuse and the misuse of the gift of tongues, or any gift for that matter, you cannot let that be the ultimate factor in how you view the gifts. There's a reality that we've all experienced it, especially with this gift. When I say to anybody that I'm Assembly of God pastor or I'm Pentecostal, it quickly goes to the gift of tongues, and almost everybody has a story of somebody swinging from the chandeliers and running. And I get that, right? We've all, let's just be open and honest today. But I can't let that be the ultimate determining factor for how I view the gift. I have to go to the Word of God. I have to go to the Word of God and then genuine experiences that I've had and that I've seen. That has to be the ultimate factor. So we're talking about Christmas presents. God in His sovereignty put my Aunt Tommy here today because I'm going to share this story because it happened at her house. As a young child, my cousin is three months older than me. We were 100% boy. We played, we did basketball, football, any of that. We really like to do Army, run through the pasture, do all of those things. We're 100% boy. Christmas comes along. uh, There's two boxes that are identical. One's for Tanner, one's for me. We're excited. We're about to tear into this. This is going to be a football, baseball. It's going to be some type of military something, right? We're ready to conquer the world. And we tear into it only to discover it's a Cabbage Patch doll. And I'm, you know, I am angry. I mean, I look at that thing and I'm like, what is this? Who did this? And those hot tears that you talk about, JoJo, because, no, it wasn't hot tears because of the love of God. It was hot tears because I was ready to fight. Who would give a young man a Cabbage Patch doll? And then I guess I look around and everybody's laughing. I get it. We're the prank, right? Now, here's what I could have done. I could have let that, uh, that, experience marked me and never opened another Christmas present. I'm probably six years old so it didn't take but about thirty seconds and I was on to the next one. I still don't go down the cabbage patch aisle though. (laughs) God was gracious and gave me three boys. I just I just go right by it like this, okay? So what's my point? Why am I sharing that? One, just just to lighten the mood a little bit, but also two, you know, you can't let those negative experiences be the way that you interpret the gift of tongues. If I could just be pastoral for a minute, you can't let the negative experiences in life be the ultimate determining thing either. You have to see what the Word of God says. You have to look at the good things. That's not denying the bad things. That's not denying the things that you've experienced. But to live a life that only focuses on the negative and looks through the lens of the negative is a gloom and doom life. And especially with the gift of tongues. So I get it, right? I get it. You've had an experience like that. But the reality is it's a gift from God. And here's what I think is unfortunate. When we look to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I think many people, possibly even most, they see the writing of Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, and they interpret it in a negative way, speaking about the gift of tongues. The reality is Paul was forced. He was forced to write in the context of a church that was misusing and abusing the gift of tongues. And so he had to write in a strong and corrective way. I'm not denying that. He absolutely does. But if the only way you interpret it and read it is in the negative things that you see, then that's going to be the way that you view it. And you'll miss all the positive things that he says. So my hope today is to pull out some of those positive things and show those to you. Because I'm amazed that in the midst of all the excess, selfish pride, division, everything that was going on in the church at Corinth, and so much of it connected to the gift of tongues, Paul did not say, forbid tongues. He didn't say, forget that gift, throw it in the trash. He didn't say, I tell you what, I thank God that this gift is going to pass away with the last apostle and the future generations of the church will never have to deal with this gift again. There's a theology that says that, but the Bible doesn't say that. Paul did not say, forbid tongues. He actually said quite the opposite. Do not forbid tongues. Even in the midst of all of that. He could even say this, I wish you all spoke in tongues. Now, as a pastor reading 1 Corinthians with all of the chaos and division, and Paul says, I wish you all spoke in tongues, I think, Paul, are you out of your mind? Let's let's say there's 75% of the church that's speaking in tongues and 25% is not in Corinth. Just throwing numbers out. How in the world is going from 75% to 100 going to make anything better? Now, some people would say, well, pastor, that would give everybody the gift and it would take away this pride. That sounds good, but the reality is the problem is not the gift. The problem is a lack of love. 1 Corinthians 13, love, love, love is the answer. Because if you had 100% of people speaking in tongues, what you would end up with is they'd find another way to say, well, guess what? Bill over here, he got the gift of tongues, and he speaks in the tongues of men. But Brother Bob over here, he got the gift of tongues, and he's speaking in an angelic tongue at the third heaven level. And Pete, he's right in the middle. He's at the second heaven level. They would find a way to divide over this thing because the issue is not the gift. The issue is the lack of love. You've got to remember that. So why did Paul say that? Well, I think Paul said, I wish you all spoke in tongues because it's a genuine desire of his. Not because it's going to quick fix the problem. But Paul genuinely believes in the gift of tongues and the value he places on it for what it provides in the life of a believer. Paul can even say, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. Now, how do we interpret that? We well, got to be careful because if you think that it's primarily to say, listen... All of you tongue-happy Corinthians, guess what? I speak in tongues more than all of you. Well, if he says it in that context, he's doing the exact same thing that they're doing. He's speaking from a place of pride. I don't think that's what Paul's doing. You can't write 1 Corinthians chapter 13 about love and then right after that say, I'm glad I do it more than all of you because I'm the super guy. It doesn't make sense. Why did he say, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you? Not in a prideful way. Paul's humble and thankful for the gift of God. And so I think he's just genuinely saying, I thank God that I speak in tongues. And by the way, I do this more than all of you so I can write about this. I do think there is a measure of that. But ultimately, I don't think he's doing it from a place of pride. I think Paul's doing it as a genuine, I thank God for this. So how can he do that? Everything that's going on, how can the Apostle Paul say that? How can he say, I wish you all spoke in tongues. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you with the chaos and the mess that's going on. Point number two. Point number two, it's a privilege and a provision. And what I had originally was this. It's a privilege and a provision, not just a proof. It's Listen, it's a privilege and it's a provision. It's not just a proof. What was happening in Corinth is this gift became the proof of someone's spirituality. If you had it, you were the super spiritual. If you didn't, you weren't. That is not true. That is not biblical. That's right. The gift of tongues is not a mark of those that are more spiritual than the others. If you have heard that or the message has been communicated to you that way, first off, I want to apologize and I want to clarify it. That's not true. Whether you have this gift or don't have this gift, you're a child of God if the Spirit of God is on the inside of you. It's not a proof of your spirituality, but it is a privilege for the children of God. And it is something God has provided to strengthen our love for God and our love for others. I truly believe that. And if we're not careful in the assemblies of God and other Pentecostal denominations, our doctrine of initial physical evidence, whether we mean it to or not, can cause humiliation and shame. I believe in the doctrine. I do. But I'm also honest that there are people that have come to seek all that God has for them. And the way it was communicated to them led them away, not with faith, but unbelief. Not with uh, grace and love, but with shame and humiliation. They felt less than Now, I believe when people minister primarily, that is not the way most people minister. I think if that happens, it is primarily unintentional. The way I've seen it, the people I've seen it, their hearts are right. They love the Lord. They don't mean to communicate it that way. But I'm also just honest that that happens a lot of times. It does. And so I have to say something really quick about the founders of the AG and the earliest Pentecostals because I don't want anybody to think I'm trying to deviate. But we have to keep it in the context the founders of the Assembly of God, the early Pentecostals, they came from a variety of backgrounds. Wesleyan Holiness, Christian Missionary Alliance, Baptist, and so many others. And as they experienced this move of God and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues, the church was not exactly welcoming this. Many of them were mocked. They were ridiculed. And they were persecuted. And it wasn't just for a few years. This happened for at least 20 to 30 years before they really got invited into the broader evangelical church. And so before I say anything about the doctrine, I want to make sure that I recognize the people that suffered, were persecuted, were mocked, were ridiculed for their faith, and they tested this doctrine and they formed it in the fires of trial. I want to respect them. Amen? Because they lost a lot over this doctrine. But it wasn't until 1918, in 1918, that it was solidified in the AG fundamental truths, okay? So I believe in it, not because of that, but we see it in Scripture, which was their motivation as well. But here's the reality. I stand here today 105 years removed from that. 105 years. A lot has changed in 105 years. A lot has changed. And so I read one pastor on this issue, and I think he was right. He said, I want to respect the ancient landmark." But I can't let that become my boundary. I think that's a good way to navigate this. I never want to remove the ancient landmark. But I have to be careful of letting that become our boundary if God is taking us further. And so the message remains unchanged. But our methods, those things will change from time to time. The way that we deliver a message. The way that we share truth. The Apostle Paul did this in Acts 17. When he showed up, he preached to the Jews and he started with the Scriptures. Why? Because they knew the Scriptures. And he reasoned from the Scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. On the same chapter, he ends up in front of a bunch of Gentiles. He doesn't start with the Scriptures. Why? They don't know him. So he looks around and he finds this, uh, this idol to the unknown God. And he says, I see that you have this. I want to tell you about that God. He meets them where they're at. So you could say, did his message change? No. By the end of speaking to the Jews, he says, Jesus is the Christ. He's been raised from the dead. The end of speaking to the Gentiles, he says, Jesus is the Christ. He's been raised from the dead. Message was the same, method changed. So I think we have some leeway when we talk about this. All I'm seeking to do today is to try to give maybe a little bit of a fresh approach to this topic. It's not original to me, I believe it's helpful, and I think it can help you avoid the strife of tongues as a church family. But really, my heart today is for that individual that this topic has really just caused strife and fear and confusion in your heart, and I want to see that taken away. I want to see that taken away, okay? First thing i got to say, I'm not overly fond of the terminology. Initial physical evidence. It sounds like something you got to present in a court case, right? Sir, do you have your initial physical evidence? Are we just being honest? That's how it feels. And that's how many of you feel. You feel like when it comes to the gift of tongues, you have to present something to prove to somebody that you got what you got, and you're in the end club. That's not my heart. That's not God's heart. I don't believe that was the heart of the founding assembly of God. But I'm saying that's what happens when you use that terminology. So you feel this way about that issue. So what do we do? Well, I believe Scripture shows a connection absolutely between the filling of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. I think if you honestly read the book of Acts, if you honestly read the book of Acts... All preconceived notions aside, you read the book of Acts, I think you can see a connection between the filling of the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues. That's honestly hard to write against. You can say, well, was that Luke's ultimate intention? That's for another day. But if you read Luke's writings, I think there is a connection, period, end of story. I just think there's an honest reading. If I didn't, I wouldn't preach it. Second point, got to say this. The greatest sign or proof of the fullness of the Holy Spirit is the love of God. I'll say it again. The greatest sign or proof of the fullness of the Holy Spirit is the love of God. Not a particular gift, but the love of God. First, love for God, and then second, love for neighbor. I believe Scripture is abundantly clear on that matter, especially in the writings of Paul. Paul speaks so much about love. When Paul talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, faith working through love, Paul talks about worship and praise and prayer, giving, living sacrificially, the love of God in your heart overflowing to praise and worship to God, but also to loving your neighbor. But we got to be honest, If, if Luke's brought into the equation, he speaks of a fullness of the Holy Spirit that's more of a charismatic empowerment, prophetic empowerment, Tongues and supernatural language, prophetic speech, boldly declaring the gospel, signs and wonders. And so what happens so often is when we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, one camp goes to this side and says, Are you filled because of this evidence? And one side goes here and says, Are you filled because of this evidence? And the two become a competing thing when they shouldn't. Instead, they should complement each other. The two should complement each other. They shouldn't take away from each other. So again, the greatest proof for me is tongues. And I believe this with all of my heart. Tongues is a wonderful manifestation of the love of God. I absolutely believe that with everything that's in me. Tongues is a manifestation of the love of God in your heart. First thing, it's a privilege, though. So what do I mean by it's a privilege? Why do I use that word? It's a privilege. It's a privilege for all believers because I believe that it is a gift that God gives to all of His children. I believe it is possible for all children of God to speak in tongues. Acts chapter 2, the the Spirit of God is poured out on 120, all 120 speak in other tongues. Acts 10, the Gentiles, what we see in Scripture, it doesn't give us the number, but everything seems to point that everybody that was there began to praise God in unknown tongues. Acts 19, there's 12 disciples, all 12 speak in tongues. And I know there's some unique things about Acts 2, I know that, but I'm telling you what I see in Scripture is everybody that was filled began to speak. 1 Corinthians 14, 5, Paul said it again. I wish you all spoke in tongues. Now you would say that indicates, pastor, that not all people are speaking in tongues. I give you that. But it shows me that Paul's desire and his belief was that everybody could. Everybody could. It's possible. So what's the argument? 1 Corinthians 12, 30. It's the one that so many people get hung up on. And I get that. Do you all speak with tongues? You know what the answer is? No. The answer is no. The answer is, do not all speak in tongues? Why? Because he's talking about, I believe, the public ministry, the public use of speaking in tongues. As opposed to the private prayer ministry. Paul says, do all speak in tongues? No. Right before that he says, are all prophets? The answer is no. But he also says, all can prophesy. And I think there's a similarity here. Do all speak in tongues? No. Not the public manifestation. Can all pray and praise God in an unknown language? Yes and amen. If you don't buy that argument though, I would say okay let's go a little further. Even if you say not all can speak in tongues. My question to you is why not you? What is it that uniquely disqualifies you? I believe it's a fair question because I think a lot of people get to 1 Corinthians 12:30 and they say all don't speak with tongues, I don't speak with tongues, therefore I never will. And you have to be really careful about letting any passage of scripture like that become a crutch for unbelief. We need to let the full counsel of God speak. And so I would say, do you have faith in Christ? Do you have faith in Christ? Is the Spirit of God inside of you? Well, that qualifies you. You're not disqualified on that point. Now I have to be careful with this one because in 1 Corinthians, there's a lot of junk going on, not just tongues. There's a lot of things going on, but they are operating in the gifts of the Spirit. So, do you have a besetting sin? Do you have something that God has convicted you of that you have not repented of? Because I believe in holiness. I absolutely believe in practical holiness. And that if we are living in sin, that it can prevent the working and grace of God in our life. Yes and amen. But if you say, Pastor, I am clean before God. I have confessed my sins. As far as I know, I'm living in righteousness and holiness to the best of my ability by the grace of God. You're not disqualified on that point. The final thing somebody's gonna say to me, I'm trying to do what Paul did and take away all your arguments today. He said, The Holy Spirit gives as He wills. So then people will say, The Holy Spirit gives the gifts as He wills. And I say, Yes, He does. Amen. He gives the gifts as He sovereignly wills. But I would say this Could it be that He sovereignly wills to give the gifts to those who ask in faith? What about salvation? the greatest gift of all, God sovereignly willed to give salvation to all mankind. But how do you obtain it? Only by grace through faith. Could there be a connection that the Holy Spirit sovereignly gives the gifts of the Spirit, but He gives them as people pursue them and ask in faith? I have to say yes and amen. I truly believe that. And so I don't want you to disqualify yourself today from something that God has provided because you say, 1 Corinthians twelve thirty says, not all do, so therefore I don't, so I'm not going to pursue it. If God has put the desire in your heart to pursue the gift of tongues, supernatural language to praise God, then I say, press on, brother or sister. Press on in faith. If you haven't received, believe God that He will continue to work in and through you because God is the one that gave you that desire. And God will fulfill His promises. You believe that? It's a privilege. It's a provision from Christ. It's a provision from Christ. What do I mean by that? It's something that he supplies and it gives you benefits. And here's where I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you've got your Bible, I would encourage you to go 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I want to show you some of the things that I believe lay at the foundation of why the apostle Paul can say, I wish you all spoke in tongues. Because he sees the benefits, he sees the provision, he sees what God has provided in this. It's not the end all, it's not the be all. It's not once you receive the gift of tongues, you have made it and the next thing for you is heaven. No, it's not. You're going to be here for a long time, possibly. It's something that God has provided to you. Just like prayer, just like Bible study, just like all of these other things, God has provided this gift for you. What are some of the things that God has provided through this gift that are unique, that the Apostle Paul says, this is why I wish everyone spoke in tongues, because it will help you in your love for God and love for others. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2. says, He who speaks... In a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. No one understands him, however, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. Jump over to verse 14. If I pray in a tongue, Paul says, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. So, what's the first benefit? It's a means for you to speak to God. It is a means provided that you can speak to God, a supernatural means of communicating with God. Christianity is a supernatural religion. It's not something that we carry on in our own flesh, in our own power. It is something that God has granted us by His Spirit. And so we can communicate to God in praying and praising from the depths of your being. Paul says, my spirit prays. He said, my mind is unfruitful. For many of us, that's so difficult. I want my mind to be fruitful. But God says, sometimes your mind gets in the way. There's got to be somebody under the sound of my voice that says, I've tried and I've prayed and I've cried, and my mind became a hindrance because I was limited, because there were things going on, whether it was anxiety, whether it was depression, whether it was fear, whatever it may be, it was trying to creep in, and I was trying to pray and I was trying to pour out my heart to God, but my mind was hindered because I am not infinite, I'm finite. Well, God has come along and said, You're not limited by His Spirit. And the Spirit of God is on the inside of you. And you can pray not limited by your mind. Romans 8, 26 says, The Spirit of God helps us in our weaknesses, giving us groans that cannot be uttered or could be translated unutterable groans, things so deep in your heart that you struggle to get them out. The Spirit of God will cause those things to go forward. Listen to me. This is a pastoral heart when I say this. There are people under the sound of my voice that you cannot physically do the things that you used to be able to do. And it is extremely difficult not to measure your worth based on that fact. You are not limited, though, in the eyes of God because of physical handicaps. Though you may not be able to speak, though you used to speak... Though you can't say the words that you used to could say, I believe you can pray in your heart to God in your known language, even if your mouth never opens. But I'm telling you that you can pray in the spirit. You can pray in the spirit of God, even if you can't formulate words. If you can't do the things you used to do, God has supplied the power of his spirit to go beyond our natural abilities to a supernatural level to pray and speak and bless God. I believe that God is that good that He's given us a gift that moves beyond my finite mind and the struggles that I have so that I can pour out my heart to Him. And I thank Him for that gift. In 1 Corinthians 14, too, He says this too. He says, You speak mysteries. Now, we've made this a little too weird. When we hear the word mystery, we get, All right, you're going to go into a trance, ecstatic. That's going to be. No, that's not what Paul's primarily talking about. Okay? That is not what's primarily meant. Could they have been doing that in Corinth? Absolutely. But that word mystery is used 27 times in the New Testament. 20 of those times are by the Apostle Paul. So I think when he writes this word, he has something in his mind. And when you go through and you look at those 20 times, it's overwhelmingly referring to the mystery of Christ or the mystery of the gospel in Christ. And so when he's saying you pray in the Spirit and you speak mysteries to God, I believe that we could argue that he's saying that you are praying... The depths of your heart is praying about the salvation that God has provided through Christ to Jew and Gentile, all the benefits of God's saving work, once veiled in the Old Testament, now revealed through Christ. You're praying in the Spirit, magnifying God because of His great redemption, for the love, the peace, the joy, power of the blood. You are speaking these things, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory. All of these things you are speaking and uttering to God because the Spirit of God on the inside of you desires to to bless god even beyond our ability Amen. Come on. and then paul says you can interpret it paul says you should pray that you should be able to interpret and so if you take this idea of mysteries praying the mysteries of the gospel the mysteries of christ and then you couple it with the interpretation you can receive deep revelation by the spirit of god on the things of god through praying in tongues Amen. they need to be tested to the scripture right this is our standard this is our base But as you pray in the Spirit and God reveals those things to you, it's just another dimension that God has given you to receive these revelations of God's love, His power, and His goodness. And I thank God for that gift. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 15. Paul says you can sing in the Spirit. I hope to God I sound like an angel when I sing in the Spirit. Because I don't sound good to myself, but I pray that the Lord hears it like angelic tongues. Right? So when I'm singing in the Spirit... I'm still a little leery if anybody's in the house, but if they are, they're going to hear me in my human sound. But I just pray in the heavenlies, I just sound like a sweet angel. I need it. Why do I share that, though? You can sing in the Spirit. It's another dimension, right? Praise and worship to God. You're not limited by your human abilities. A supernatural empowerment to sing and praise God. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Singing, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. The NIV translates that, songs of the Spirit. Do I believe that there was a place for corporate singing and tongues in the early church? I very well believe it could be. Could be that they sang in the Spirit, coupled with interpretation and things like that, absolutely. But could it be that in your private time as you're worshiping God through your Bible study or you're listening to songs that the love of God bubbles up in your heart and you begin to sing to God in an unknown language to you, but supernaturally empowered, absolutely, I believe that from the depths of my being. I think that's what we see in Scripture. Colossians 3, Paul says a similar thing. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, is what he says before that. How do you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly? You sing psalms. You sing the word of God. Psalms, you sing hymns, the truths of the faith, and you sing these spiritual songs. There's some component to singing a spiritual song that lets the word of Christ, the presence of Christ, the power of Christ dwell in you richly. And I don't know about you, but I need that. I need that because the world tries to take Christ out of me. And I need Christ in me. And that dwelling richly, it's kind of like when you make tea. And you take that bag and you let it steep in the tea. And what happens? That water begins to be permeated with the tea. And that's what Paul's saying. His illusion is as you do this, as you sing psalms and hymns, as you sing in your known tongue, I never want to diminish that. Never want to diminish that. But also don't want to reject or neglect this other thing that Paul says. You can sing in the Spirit. It doesn't have to be either or. It's both and. Praise God in your known language. Praise God in an unknown language as the Spirit moves you. And let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Paul says you're giving thanks to God. Christ is dwelling in you. And he says you're singing from the heart. You're singing from the heart. It's not just your mind, it's not just your emotions, it's the depth of your heart. Now this is the one that I really love. If you're a parent, then you need to lay hold of this one. 1 Corinthians 14, 16-17. Paul says, Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he, who occupies the place of the uninformed, say amen at your giving of thanks? Since he does not understand what you say. Verse 17, For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. So why do I love this one? Well, let's be honest with the passage before we talk about the good. Paul is dealing with the misuse and abuse of tongues here, right? If I stand up on this stage today, mic'd up, and I begin to pray in other tongues, and I don't interpret it, that would not be helpful. You would not understand anything that I said unless God gave you the gift of interpretation, right? Right? So Paul is saying somebody is standing up in the assembly or in a group of other believers and essentially they are praying in unknown tongues with no interpretation and it kind of comes off that they are saying, look at me, look what I've got, look what I'm able to do and I'm not worried about you being blessed or benefited by this. That person can't say amen. Amen means so be it. I'm in agreement. They can't agree if they don't understand. Okay? I get that. But what's the good that we see in this? Well, Paul says you bless with the Spirit... And he says, you did give thanks. Don't forget verse 17. Paul said, even though you didn't do it right in this context, you did in fact give thanks well. So remove the public setting. Let's get in the private setting when you're praying in front of God. Look at that. Wow. Hit the button, wait and see what happens. If not, we'll keep going. Nothing. Right there, Jody, I think I see you. Yep. Hey, in Exodus, the Lord said you could worship in the darkness. I think we're going to have to give it a try today. <laughs> Let's keep going. What does Paul say? Y'all can see me, right? You still hear me, right? Lord's still good, right? Let's keep going. Paul says, You give thanks well enough. He's saying, okay, even though you misused it in selfish reasons, the reality is what you spoke was truly a blessing. And so we've removed ourselves from the public setting, and now we're just in our own private time of prayer and devotion, and I'm praying for my children. And I'm praying, and I want to bless them. And I want to bless my wife. And I reach a point where I say, God, I don't have anything else to say, and I feel so inadequate. I want to bless my children, God. I want to bless my wife. Could it be that God could move me by the power of His Spirit to speak to Him in an unknown tongue that I might bless my family? That I might give thanks well enough? That I'm not limited again by my human abilities, but the Spirit of God will allow me to bless my children, bless my family, bless this church family, bless this community, bless that lost loved one that I struggle to say, God, what do they need? I don't know. I've tried everything, but I can't reach them. The Spirit of God is not exhausted. He can reach them. Pray in the Spirit and bless them. Even though you don't understand it, you're given thanks well enough. You're moved by the Spirit of God. He's working all things out together for His good. Amen? Amen. Amen. You can bless with the spirit. And I thank God for that reality. Last point on this. First Corinthians four, verses four and five. There we go. Verses four and five. The one most people are so familiar with. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. He who prophesies edifies the church. The first part of verse five, Paul says, I wish you all spoke in tongues. Okay. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. He who prophesies edifies the church. He goes on to say, I wish, uh, I wish you all spoke in tongues. He says, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless, don't forget that unless, the one who speaks in tongues interprets. So then everybody's brought into this. So why do we look here? Edification. Is self-edification a bad thing in Christianity? No. If it is, you shouldn't read your Bible. You shouldn't pray in your known language. You shouldn't worship. You shouldn't come to church, right? God is not opposed to self-edification, building ourselves up in our most holy faith. He's given us means to do that. One of those means is spiritual language, praying and praising God. You build yourself up. It's edification, strengthening your inner man. I can't explain how this happens, and the reality is it's not all about feelings. There are times when I pray in the Spirit that I don't feel anything. But I trust God that He says, when I do it, I will build myself up. And the reality is, when I leave those moments and I don't feel anything, I sometimes feel foolish because it still sometimes sounds strange to me when I do it, if I'm being honest there as well. But the reality is, I have tested this and I've proven it, that as I go out and I live my life... Things begin to happen. Things begin to change. I meet a circumstance that had I not prayed and built myself up, I'm not sure I would have had the wisdom or understanding that God provided. How does that all work out? I don't know. It's part of that mystery, but God said it. I believe it. I'm going to practice it. I want you to practice as well. I want every one of you to be built up. That's why I don't think it's coincidence that Paul says, I wish you all spoke in tongues only a few sentences, not really even many at all, after he says those who pray in tongues build themselves up. What pastor would stand on this stage and say, here's a gift that will build you up, but I don't want you to have it? You better remove that, pastor. I want every single one of you to be built up in the fullness of God's love in any way, shape, or form that God has provided. Any of them, any of them, any gift that God has put on your heart to seek, I want to encourage you, I want to teach you, I want to pray with you, and I want to say, go after that gift. If it's going to build you up, then you go after it. And what I see in Scripture is this gift does that very thing. You pray in the Spirit, God supernaturally strengthens you in the inner man. God in His infinite wisdom and goodness has purposed that to be true. Through praying in the Spirit, your heart, your soul, your mind can be built up. And the greatest thing that can accomplish this building up is the love of God. Paul said what? Paul said, knowledge puffs up. And he said that to the Corinthians. But he said, love builds up. The love of God in Christ, Paul says in Romans 5, the love of God in Christ has been poured out or shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. How do you get away from the strife of tongues? Only by love. Only by love. Internally, the only way you avoid all that conflict and confusion that's going on is you've got to see the love of God, you've got to seek the love of God, you've got to experience the love of God. I would say it this way, quit seeking a gift and seek the giver. What happens is we get so focused on I've got to present this proof that we miss the one who gives the gifts and who died and shed his blood for you, who ascended into heaven and poured out the Holy Spirit. He's the one that gives the gifts. Seek him. Seek him with all of your heart. Believe in God. Seek him to know his love, to know his mercy, to know his grace. Put yourself in that context where you're so filled with the love of Christ. And is it unreasonable from what we've seen in Scripture that if my heart gets overwhelmed by the love of Christ that i might begin to praise Him in an unknown tongue? I don't think so. Because if you've ever experienced the love of God tangibly being poured into your heart, you cannot contain it. You cannot contain it. It's more than we can hold. It's more than we can fathom. It should issue forth in praise and prayer to God in your known language. And I believe that it will issue forth if you will allow God to move in you by his spirit through an unknown tongue or a spiritual language, the way I like to say it. And then it'll also show up in the way that you love others. And those things are not disconnected. That's where Corinthians, they got it mixed up a little bit. So, I hope the, uh, the guitar's working, Shane, because I need you on stage. The context that I've seen most people receive all that God has for them is worship. Whether that's individually at home, whether it's corporately. If you seek all that God has for you, if you seek the love of God, then I just truly believe that God will meet you right there in that place. And I want to say this, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know, we read this and and Paul says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love then I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. So here's what Paul's saying. If you don't have love, you would sound like me playing the guitar and my wife playing the drums. If we got up here and I grabbed the guitar and she got on the drums, it would not sound good. You would recognize quickly they are not gifted. They're not gifted at all. Okay? But Paul was forced to write that because of the negative that was going on. But is there a positive? Can we spin this? Because if that's the negative, well, then I believe there's a positive to it. So could it be that Paul would say, because I have love, when I pray in tongues, whether of men or angels, I sound as a melody unto the Lord. A perfect symphony of praise. I absolutely believe that to be true. The problem in Corinth wasn't tongues. The problem today is not tongues. The problem is love. Love. And for many of you, you're seeking all that God has for you, and you have felt belittled because of this. And I want to say, brother or sister, do not let that happen. We don't see you that way. We value you. Listen to the message that was preached last week. You are a child of God. I believe we can even say you're full of the Holy Spirit and the love of Christ. But I would say, have you had the fullness of the Holy Spirit issue forth out of you in a supernatural language? And if you say no, then I just encourage you to press into all that God has and see what He'll do. That's my encouragement. Forget trying to prove to me or anybody else. God didn't label me the Holy Spirit baptism police. I'm not. I'm not. I'm a pastor. I'm a shepherd. And I encourage you to go after everything that God has for you. To go after him. Jude verses 20 and 21. I'll end. Jude says this, I believe it's connected to praying in a supernatural language. I don't believe it's limited to that, but I absolutely believe it's connected. So many times we hear this shared. You, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Don't go to 21 yet. We hear that. That's edification. That's being built up. And I want to say this, too. Do some research. the The number one fear in today's society... Is social anxiety. Amen. I'm not surprised by that. Number one fear is social anxieties. The most common social anxiety in the world is glossophobia. Now, y'all are looking at me like, is he, did he just speak in tongues? <laughs> kind of. The gift of tongues in Scripture is called glossolalia. The greatest fear most common fear, 75% of the world, is speaking in public. In God's infinite wisdom, could it be possible that He connected, knowing that the greatest struggle we have for whatever reason is speaking boldly and speaking in public? Could it be that He's given us this supernatural gift to build us up so that we can then be bold in our faith? I absolutely believe that with all of my heart. There are people under the sound of my voice that still, and I say this with humility, but I got to say it, they look at me, I can feel them right in this area, and they wonder how this happened. Well, it didn't happen because of Jace Holmes, it happened because of the grace of God. If I took the microphone around and asked all of you to speak in whatever you wanted to say, 75% of you would run for the door, right? According to the things. I would have been one of the seventy five. As a matter of fact, I'd been the first guy out there, and I would have never came back here. <laughs> That'd been the end of it. Right there. <laughs> Not doing that. So I get it. I get it. I get the fear. I really do. But God didn't give you a spirit of fear. God gave you, child of God. God gave you a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. So I want to ask you to stand with me. Because we're going to worship God. We're going to seek the Lord. And I'm not trying to say anything other than brother, sister, if you're here today and you operate in this particular gift, then praise God for it. Bless the Lord through that gift. If you're seeking this gift and you say, it would help me to have a pastor pray with me, I'll pray with you. Pastor Brown will pray with you. Jojo will pray with you. But I'm just asking you to seek God, to seek the Lord Jesus Christ, to worship him, to let the love of God fill your heart. And as it does, as the love of God fills your heart, let it overflow. Praise God. In your known tongue, absolutely. You pour out your praises to Him. He's worthy of all praise. And if God moves upon you by the power of His Spirit to begin to bless His holy name with a spiritual language, then brother or sister, let it out. Let it out. And there are people that are seeking all that Jesus has for you. And I have to say this, and I'll wrap up. I don't want to ramble too much. My wife told me don't do that. You know, water baptism... There's a point in water baptism where you gotta you gotta recognize. All right, it's water. I'm okay with that. You get in the water, right? But there's a point where you're standing in that water and you're about to be immersed below your head. You gotta trust the person next to you. You gotta give up. You gotta surrender. I'm sorry that it's me and Pastor Brown. Sometimes I know that's not a lot of hope, but we're gonna hold you. I promise. We're going to hold you. But with spirit baptism, the one who baptizes you is Christ. Amen. And some of you have been moving in the things of the spirit. and It's kind of like Ezekiel, right? You're, you're walking in the water and it's up to your ankles. And you've pressed in a little further and now it's up to your knees. And you've pressed in a little further and now it's up to your chest. And you're at that point where you realize, I, I can't handle this. I can't do this. I can't. You've got to just let go. And you got to trust that the one who's holding you is going to keep you. And what he has for you is good. So, Father, I love you. Jesus, we worship you. I pray for a spirit of worship and praise, God. I pray that you would give us the grace, God, to worship you with everything that we have, God that you would bless this church family, Lord, that we might worship you, God, freely, God, uninhibited, not worried about what people think, worried about what you think, God, that we would lift up your name, that we would trust that by your Holy Spirit, We're not limited to praise You, God. Only in our natural. You've given us this gift, God. It's not just a proof to say we got it. It's a privilege. It's a provision that we might be built up. But above all things, that we might bless Your holy name. That the love of God would overflow in my heart. And I'd be able to let it out, God, to bless You in this house. And I just pray, God, meet us where we are. Church family, I pray that You'll receive all that God has for you this morning. In Jesus' mighty name. And if you want to come forward, Come forward and worship the Lord. These altars are open.